Father, we thank you so much that we can come to your word, Lord, that we can um, we can find your will in it. We can find a series of future events, Lord, but we do find you, find so much in it, instruction, encouragement. Lord, um, I ask that all those things would be ours today, and that you would help us to go through it, that you would help me, Lord, that I wouldn't just stand here by myself. But um, you would fill me with your spirit. Fill all of us, Lord. So that we can believe. So that we can act. So that um, we will live redeemed lives here and now. Not wasted lives. Lord, we thank you so much for your grace and your goodness towards us. I pray we could be Assured of the things that are written. In your name. Amen. Alright, so... Chapter 24, verse 15. It says, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Okay? That's all we're going to read from this... Let him read, understand. So, if you remember, the last few weeks we've gone over the first 14 verses. Um, from verse 4 to verse 14. And we notice that as you go through those things and as you measure them up to the book of Revelation, you see that it's in the same sequence. Okay? You see false Christs. You see wars. You see um, famines, you see earthquakes, you see all these things. And then last week we looked at the martyrs. We, we noted that there is going to be a big war against the saints. Now those saints that speaking of, I believe, are not the Christian church. I believe it's most likely the saints in Israel, Jewish saints, or maybe even Jewish saints all over the world. Okay. Number one I, reason I believe that is because the church isn't here. But also those who believe through their message will be persecuted. Okay? Those who believe through your message, I think we looked at chapter 7 in Revelation and saw that, that the 144,000 are sealed with the seal from the Lord. Right? And they go out preaching. They are Jewish men who are evangelists and they go out preaching. You also have three angels who are preaching the, the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And then you see a great multitude in heaven who came out of the great tribulation. All right, And so that marks the first three and a half years of the tribulation period, known as the tribulation. The second three and a half years are known as the great tribulation period. This is when things get even worse. It's kind of like, well, I didn't think they could get worse. Yeah, they're going to get worse. And so um, that is marked by this moment, okay, when you see... The abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place. That marks that three and a half year mark during the tribulation period, okay? So, but let me let me start with this. Let's start with the, the last phrase of that. Whoever reads, let him understand. Who's reading a red letter Bible? Where all the words of Christ are in red, okay? Is that phrase in black or in red? in black. Now, if you have an ESV, um, or even a King James, I think it is, um, those are in red. They keep it in red because they believe that Jesus is still speaking. Um, the New King James, New American Standard Bible, both put them in black, saying, well, Jesus isn't speaking anymore. This is uh, something that the author put in to say, okay, whoever reads, let them understand what Jesus is going to say, talking to their readers. I believe that this is still Jesus speaking because this is recorded the, the exact same way in Mark chapter 13. Okay? And also, what is he talking about? He's talking about another book of the Bible. He's talking about the book of Daniel. So Jesus says, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy, holy place, okay, when you read that, let the reader understand. 
All right, so I think it's Jesus saying, look back at that passage, or at those passages that talk about that event, and almost like he's praying for you. Let the reader understand, or, you, you know, apply your mind to these things. Look at it. And so that's what we want to do. We want to apply our minds to these things, not just to read them previously, but to, to really apply ourselves to it. He, he's, he, Jesus says, let the reader understand. That means he wants us to understand what is going to happen in the last days. Okay? Which is why we're going over this. We are to be eager for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? We're to be eager for that day. Okay, that's why we are reading this. This is not just so that we can have understanding or we can develop conspiracy theories or so that we can just fill our minds with eschatological things, things of the last times. Okay, you see a lot of people out there who are obsessed over these things in an unhealthy manner. And it's to the detriment of other doctrines and things in the Word of God. Right? And so we don't want to do that. What we want to do is understand and be eager for the coming of the Lord and also to see that everything that we are experiencing now is setting up for this time period. Okay? Whether or not the, the tribulations is going to start within a year or five years or ten years or even in our lifetime, the world is still being set up to receive the man of sin, okay, to have all these things happen that the book of Revelation talks about, that Jesus is talking about in Matthew 24, that Daniel talks about. All right? So we are to be watching, right? We are to watch, and we are to notice these things. We are not to be ignorant of what is going to happen. Okay? Um, another reason I, I want to go through this section exclusively today is because I want us to see that these things don't, it doesn't contradict Okay, you have different views on eschatology. Eschatology, again, is the study of last things, study of end times. And um, you have the, the, the two other big biggest groups are post-millennialists and amillennialists. Amillennialists believe that there is no thousand-year reign of Christ. Okay? And that, you know, maybe things will get really bad and then Jesus is just going to come, burn down the earth and the universe and everything, and then start over. Um Postmillennialism believes that the church is actually going to take over the world. Okay, that that um, we are the millennia, or um, that the millennium will come after the church preaches the gospel all over, and the church pretty much rules. Okay, it's kind of like a very um, uh, positive outlook on things. Not that things are going to get bad, but that the church is going to continue to grow and to get bigger and take over. The only problem with that, it's a great idea, and I think it spurs people on, it spurred the pilgrims on um, to, to, to do those things, to come here, to create a place where the gospel would go out, you know, in America. But the only problem with that is that we see the opposite in Scripture. We see that perilous times will come in, in, first, in 2 Timothy chapter 3. You know, in the last days, men will be lovers themselves, lovers of money, greedy, boastful, proud, blasphemers, you know, taking advantage of, of women and gullible women, you know, who are loaded down with sins. That's what it says the last days are going to be like. And Jesus himself speaks of the last days in this way. But there are those who would say, what Jesus is talking about is not the end. It is what happens in AD 70, the destruction of the temple. And we've looked at it over and over again. We see the difference between Luke chapter 21 and Matthew 24. Luke chapter 21 is like the answer to the first question. When will these things be? Speaking of the destruction of Jerusalem and of the temple. He gives that answer. Okay, There is such a difference in phraseology. But it's almost like he says, okay, this is what it's going to look like at this time. It's going to look very similar towards the end. And he gives some of the same signs and stuff like that. So I believe people get confused that there is a distinction between Luke chapter 21 and Matthew chapter 24, okay? And also what happens in AD 70 and what will happen at the end of the age, all right? So let me read it again. It says, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, 
Whoever reads, let him understand. So let's go to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. And this is what we went over a few weeks ago. It was about five weeks ago to be exact. Starting in verse 24, Daniel chapter 9. I'll give you a second to get there. And we're going to be in Daniel and going back and forth a little bit. But we're going to stay in Daniel for a while. So you really don't have to keep your finger in Matthew if you don't want to. Or you can just turn your phone to Daniel. Okay, remember this is the 70 weeks prophecy, or 77s. And it says, 70 weeks, verse 24, Daniel chapter 9. 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish transgression, to make an end of sins... To make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy, probably the most holy place. Okay, Speaking of the millennial kingdom, we know that to seal up vision and prophecy, that's not going to happen till the end. Because there's still prophecies that have to be fulfilled. So this is speaking of the time of the end. So he says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince there shall be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. And if you remember, we looked back at that, you have the seven weeks, which is 40, uh, 49 weeks, and then you have sixty-two weeks, which is 434 years. Okay? Um... The um, and remember, this is a total of 490 years that's being prophesied and spoken about. Look at verse 26. It says, And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off. And we looked at that. The seven weeks plus the 62 weeks equals 483 years. Okay? And according to the calculations of Sir Robert Anderson, and if you take it from the command from Artaxerxes in the book of Nehemiah to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, you have um, uh, the, the 49 years that it takes to do that, because if it takes 52 days to rebuild the wall in Nehemiah, right? They build it in extremely fast, but then they build the street and everything else, and it takes 49 years to restore Jerusalem. And then you have another 62 weeks, another... 434 years, okay? Now, if you add those two together, it brings us right to, I think it was April 4th, AD 32. Okay? Another scholar from, um, oh, geez, Dallas Theological Seminary actually augmented it a little bit and did some more precise calculations and put it to AD 33 of April 4th, which is Easter. Okay? Or the, the time right when Jesus before Easter, right when Jesus enters into the Holy Temple, the Holy Land, riding on a donkey, okay, during Passover. And what happens after that? After Messiah gets cut off. So look at it again. After 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off. The Hebrew word is, I think it's karath, which means to be executed, okay. To be executed, Jesus Christ was executed for our sins. It says, um, but not for himself, not for his own sins. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood until the end of the war. Desolations are determined. The sanctuary is speaking of the temple. Okay, The temple is destroyed in 70 A.D by General Titus, who goes in there. Actually, he had given the command not to um, destroy the temple because it was kind of like a trophy for Rome. But what happens? One of the, one of the guys throw a, a torch into there and light the place up. And to get the gold and all the, the, the stuff that's in there, the artifacts, they tear down the entire temple, throw every stone down, and then pull the gold out, and all the artifacts, okay? There's actually a stone carving, and um, it, it shows Titus, and they're carrying the big menorah, you know, and some of the temple artifacts out of the temple area, 
okay, as like trophies. Now, that's the end of the 62 weeks, okay? After the 62 weeks, Messiah will be cut off, and then after that, the temple will be destroyed, the city will be destroyed. Um, I think it was uh, like hundreds of thousands of people died in that war, all right? It was, it was awful. So look at verse 27. Then he, okay, who is the he? The he is the prince who shall come. That's the Roman prince. He shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, for one seven, one seven-year period. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. So, he's going to declare a covenant for seven years, okay? Perhaps a peace treaty with Israel and with Israel's enemies. And, um, but in the middle of it, he's going to break it, okay? It says, but in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offerings, and on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate. This is the abomination of desolation that Jesus is speaking about in Matthew 24. Okay? And it says, even until the consummation, which is determined, the consummation is till the end of it. And literally, consummation there could be translated destruction. Even until the end of the destruction, which is determined, is poured out on the desolate or some translations have the desolator, or the desolate one, speaking of the Antichrist, of this prince who is to come, okay? Now, abomination, what does that word mean? It means something perverse, something twisted, something that is unnatural, right? Something that is... Um, uh, Grotesque, usually it's many times in the Bible spoken of for idolatry, for idols, for things that people worship that are not the true God. That's what a, an abomination is. Um, now it says it's going to be set up on the wing of the abomination. Okay, what, what is it talking about there? Now, it's believed that when you were to walk in, especially into Solomon's temple, I was trying to find pictures, but there's not as the records aren't written as um, precisely for Herod's temple or even Zerubbabel's temple. And, um, but in the, in Solomon's temple, you had the Ark of the Covenant. Okay. But overshadowing the Ark were these two huge angels with their wings outstretched. Now it could be either one that that abomination of desolations is stuck in there. Okay. And we don't have the Ark of the Covenant right now. Nobody knows where it is, except for a few people on the internet. They are really sure they know where it is. Okay? Um, some people believe it's in Ethiopia. There's actually these churches, my wife was showing me, that are dug into the ground. And they're in the shape of, was it a cross? And uh, they're huge buildings. And it's believed that they may have it. They got it from the Babylonians. And there's some records to show that, yeah, that could be true. And they have all these artifacts in there, but... It's said that they have so many, nobody really knows which is what is what could be real and what has just been built since then. So it could be that they have it. Um, it could be that it is underneath the uh, the temple that the priest came and took it and hid it away. And um, it's really interesting. When we were in Jerusalem, we went down underneath the temple complex. Probably one of my favorite things because you're going through all these caves and stuff and. You had to wear a little yarmulke, and um, you're going through there, and it was just—it was amazing to see how deep they had tunneled through. All right, and once they would get kind of close somewhere, they start getting excited. The Muslims who owned the Temple Mount would stop them. Very, very interesting. And my pastor—and this was just totally speculation, Dave Love—he really—he at that time, anyways. I don't know what he thinks now. He thought that what would cause a national revival in Israel was to find the Ark of the Covenant. 
to find it. I mean, just think about that. What would cause Israel to say, nope, we have to build the temple right now? It would definitely be the Ark of the Covenant. So it could be that they find it. I and mean, this is totally speculation, so you can toss it away and we'll just wait and see what happens, you know? But um, the fact that he puts this abomination of desolations on the wing, you know, could mean that he actually puts it between the cherubim on the Ark of the Covenant. So that's, that's just the thought. That could happen. Or it's just standing between the two giant cherubim that overshadow the Ark of the Covenant. Okay? But um, I want you to go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And we're going to see what this man of sin is going to do. Okay? This, this, um, this Antichrist character. So 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. If you hit... First, second Timothy, you've gone too far. If you hit first Thessalonians, go one more book, second Thessalonians, chapter two. So let's start in verse one. We're going to read down to verse 12. It says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who... Okay, this is the man of sin, and now it's going to describe him, what he is going to do. The man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, or that is worship, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. All right, where is he doing this? In the temple. He is, in one sense, the abomination that walks into the temple because he declares from the temple mount in Israel, from the temple, the rebuilt tribulation temple, that he is God. He is saying, I am Yahweh. All right? I am the one that you are to worship. Okay? He's going to show himself that he is God. Verse 5, Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. Okay, listen to that. That's the consummation, the destruction that's spoken of in Daniel 9.27, okay? It says, till the end of the consummation, desolations are determined, right? So he will consume them with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan. With all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them a strong delusion that they should be believe the lie that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Okay, the strong delusion, they will be given over to the Antichrist. Okay, but what exactly is he going to do? He's going to go into the temple. He is going to declare himself that he is God. And later on, we'll also see that he sets up an image there. Okay, but I want you to go to Revelation chapter 19. Since the book of Daniel talks about this consummation, this destruction, I want you to see what that is first. Okay, Daniel chapter 19, verse 19. Revelation or Daniel? I'm sorry, Revelation. Oh, you could try to go to Daniel 19. I think you'll be looking for it for a while, though. It's not there. <laughs> okay, Revelation 19, last book. Almost the last chapter. Verse 19, And I saw the beast, the kings of the earth and their armies, gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. 
Who is him who sits on the horse in that verse? It is Jesus Christ, right? He is sitting on a white horse, and he's got a robe, and, and a name written on that robe, Lord of Lords and King of Kings, okay? And who is the army that is with them? I think it's us. I think it's his church. We come with him also riding on white horses, okay? And the beast is coming and gathering to make war against him. Then the beast was captured, so obviously they lose. And with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. Okay, the image is the abomination of desolation. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone, and the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. So this is going to be a gruesome battle, but the Antichrist and the false prophet are going to be captured. They're going to be cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. Okay? So that is that time from Daniel. It says, He will make desolate even until the consummation which is determined. That is the consummation. When Jesus Christ casts them alive into the lake of fire. All right? And it's poured out on the desolate, the desolator, the desolate one, the Antichrist. So, now someone asked, but didn't this abomination of desolations already happen? Okay. So I want you to go to um, chapter 11 of Daniel. And um, we're going to start in verse 20. But just so you know, these prophecies have been so proven to be true and so exact that critics have said that there's no way that Daniel could have been written before like 1 AD. Okay? Except there are there are manuscripts and copies that they have today that are from way before then. Okay? But they're so exact that they just can't understand how it'd be real because they're not believers. He's going to give about 500 years of human history about these two kings or kingdoms. Okay? The king of the north and the king of the south. The king of the south is Egypt, um, Ptolemy, and the king of the north is Syria. It's actually Hellenized Syria, so the Syria that um, uh, Alexander the Great had taken over and caused Greek culture to flourish there and stuff like that. And it's going to talk about several different kings. But in chapter 20, go ahead and go there. That's where we're going to start. It says, There shall arise in his place one who imposes taxes on the glorious kingdom. But within a few days he shall be destroyed, but not in anger or battle. This is speaking of Seleucus IV, who was king of Assyria. And what he did was he imposed taxes on Israel so that he could pay off, um, pay tribute to Rome. And uh, he wasn't killed in a battle. What happened was somebody else wanted the, the throne. I mean, a guy named Heliodorus, I'm sure I'm mispronouncing his name, he wanted the throne. They had even kidnapped Lucius's son and held him. Um, but a tax collector ended up poisoning the king. Okay, then verse 21. And in his place shall rise, arise a vile person, to whom they will not give the honor of royalty, but he shall come in peaceably and seize the kingdom by intrigue. Now, this is speaking of Antiochus Epiphanes, Antiochus IV. All right, he takes the name of his, I think it was his grandfather Antiochus III, and um, that wasn't his real name though. His real name was something else. Couldn't pronounce it, so I didn't even write it down. But um, he takes that name. One, it's by intrigue to show, yes, I'm in line. And while this is going on with, what was his name? Heliodorus and kidnapping the king's son and holding him for ransom and doing all this stuff, he slips in. Antiochus slips in. And he names himself Antiochus Epiphanes. Epiphanes means God manifest. Okay? He's saying, I am the incarnate God. All right, He is a form of the Antichrist. 
And I believe that Satan has always had his Antichrist ready. Always had him to be ready. You know, if, uh, I like um, a guy named Arnold Fruchtenbaum. And he wrote a book called In the Footsteps of the Messiah. And in this book he says just that, that Satan has always had his man ready. On the stage, the stage is always set because Satan does not know when this time is going to come. Okay, so he has Antiochus ready. I believe he had Nimrod ready, who is a form of the Antichrist uh, in the book of Genesis. You have Hitler. Okay, what does Hitler do? Why does he want to exterminate the Jews? You know, why does anybody... I mean, they're, they're small. It's a small nation, a small country, and they had been, you know, spread out all over the world. Why do you care about this one group of people? You know, why do antichrist type people always hate the Jews? You know, we have other people today, the, the um, leaders of Iran have wanted to wipe out the Jews for years. You know, I believe Satan always has his guy ready. The czars in Russia, you know, we talked about them and uh, how possibly another antichrist. And it's, it's just interesting to me that czar is Caesar in Russian. You know, and I believe that this Antichrist will be from Rome because it talks about the people of the prince who is to come. The people of the prince who is to come that destroyed Israel, destroyed the sanctuary, was Rome. Okay, so now you have Antiochus Epiphanes. And um, let's see, he reigned, I think, until 175 AD. I have it written down somewhere. I can't find it right now. But look at verse 22. And it says, With the force of a flood they shall be swept away, speaking of the kingdom of the south, Egypt, from before him and be broken, and also the prince of the covenant. So, Antiochus Epiphanes is the first one to go against Egypt and actually really win from Syria and to really dominate. And he also puts to death uh, a guy by the name of, um, let me find it, Onias III, who was the high priest in Jerusalem. Now, Onias III said, no, we're not going to be Hellenized. We are Jewish, and we are keeping our Jewish heritage, our Jewish identity. We are not going to become Greek. We're not going to take on the Greek language. We are not going to stop eating clean food. You know, we're not going to start eating ham sandwiches and pig and all that kind of stuff and shellfish. We are going to stay Jewish. Antiochus did not like that at all. He wanted all the world to be, go after him. You know, he's God manifest, according to his mind. They actually renamed him. His people renamed him this Antiochus, what was it? Amemenes or something like that, which meant Antiochus the madman, the crazy man. So just to play on words there. But he has Onias III assassinated because of that. And um, he has him assassinated by his own brother so that he can take over his brother's, you know, de uh, he defects to Syria, pretty much. Look at verse 23, Daniel 11. And it says, After the league is made with him, he shall act deceitfully, and he shall come up, become strong with a small number of people. He shall enter peaceably, even into the richest places of the province, and he shall do what his fathers have not done for his nor his forefathers, for he shall dis disperse among them the plunder, the spoil, the riches, and he shall devise his plans against strongholds, but only for a time. Antiochus goes, he plunders Egypt, but then he also makes kind of a league with the Egyptian leaders, which he ends up being betrayed by them because they side with Rome, and then Rome comes against Antiochus. Okay, verse 25. He shall stir up his power and his courage against the king of the south with a great army. And the king of the south shall be stirred up to battle with a very great and mighty army. But he shall not stand, for they shall devise plans against him. Okay? Egypt doesn't win at first, but then, again, they side with Rome, which we'll see in a minute. It says, Those who eat, delic who eat the portion of the delicacies shall destroy him. His army shall be swept away. And many shall fall down slain. Both these kings' hearts shall be bent on evil, and they shall speak lies at the same table, but it will not prosper. For the end of it um, will still be at the appointed time. So again, they kind of make a, 
a pack together, the king of the south, the king of the north, but that pack is broken because they're both speaking lies at the dinner table, saying, yeah, we'll do this, you do that, I'll do this, you, we'll do that, right? But they're, they're both lying, so it doesn't work out too well. Verse 28, while returning to his land with great riches, his heart shall be moved against the holy covenant, that's Israel. So he shall do damage and return to his own land. At the appointed time, he shall return and go towards the south. But it shall be like the, it shall not be like the former or the latter. For ships from Cyprus, those are ships, Roman ships, shall come against him. Therefore, he shall be grieved and return in rage against the holy covenant and do damage. So what happens is Rome comes against him. This is all just settled in history. Rome comes against him with uh, with Egypt, and um, they stop him. I think there's even a uh, there's a story of that Roman general basically draws a circle around Antiochus, says, "You go outside this circle, you're dead." Okay, they stop him, but he is so enraged, so upset that he decides to take it out on the Jews. Okay, who else to to take it out on than God's people? All right. And, and God himself. So, in the verse 30, it says, So he shall return and show regard for those who forsake the Holy Covenant. If you forsake the Holy Covenant, you come to my side, you'll be okay. I'll, I'll show regard for you, is what happens. And this is exactly what happens. And forces shall be mustered by him, and they shall defile the sanctuary fortress. Then they shall take away the daily sacrifices and place there the abomination of desolation, okay, which is the whole reason why we're reading this passage. Now, what was the abomination of des desolation? Okay, what Antiochus did, he goes in, he starts war against Israel. 80,000 people are slaughtered, 40,000 people are taken captive, and another 40,000 people are sold into slavery. This is a, a wicked man. And then what happens is he goes into the temple. He slaughters a pig on the altar, on the bronze altar, which makes it unclean. And then he goes in and in the Holy of Holies, he sets up a statue of Zeus. Okay, saying Zeus is God and you guys will worship him now. But then it says this. Because he had many who sided with him in Israel, who forsook God, forsook the commandments of the Lord. Verse 32, those who do wickedly against the covenant shall be corrupt with flattery. But the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. And if you um, if you have a Catholic Bible, you'll see the book of Maccabees in there. <laughs> and that actually gives the story of Judas Maccabeus. Maccabeus, that name means the hammer. You know, I would like to be called that Jordan the hammer. That'd be super cool. You know, but Judas the hammer, Judas Maccabeus fights, he and his men and they recover Jerusalem. You know, Hanukkah, that's also in celebration of this. They purify the temple and the candle. They only had oil for so many days and it burns for, is it 12? 12 days? Or for a whole month or something? Uh, I didn't look it up. But you guys kind of know the story. So, um, but that is called the abomination of desolation. The abomination that makes the city desolate. And he, he destroys it. And, you know, the priest can't go into the temple. He also had slaughtered the pig and then forced the priests to eat the pig meat. But now go to Daniel 33 through 35. And those of the people who understand shall instruct many. Yet for many days they shall fall by the sword and flame by captivity and plundering. Now when they fall they shall be aided with a little help. But many shall join with them by intrigue, and some of those of understanding shall fall. Okay, some of those with understanding mean they understand what's going on. They understand that they are to hold fast to God and to his commandments. Right? They are not to forsake him. It says, And some of those with un of understanding shall fall to refine them, purify them, and make them white until the time of the end, because it is still for the appointed time. Okay, now right there in, in verse 35, you have a switch. He starts talking about a time further out 
than the time of Antiochus Epiphanes. He's talking about a time that still hasn't happened yet. He's talking about the time that we read of in the book of Revelation, that we read of in Matthew chapter 24, the time of Jacob's trouble from Jeremiah 30. The time that has never been since the beginning of the world until now. A time of great tribulation. So look at verse 36. And we're going to see somebody else, a different king. Okay? Then the king shall do according to his own will. He shall exalt and magnify himself above every god, shall speak blasphemies against the god of gods, and shall prosper till the wrath has been accomplished. For what has been determined shall be done. He shall regard neither God of his fathers nor the desire of women. He's not going to regard Zeus. He's not going to regard Hermes or Apollo or any of the Greek gods. It's a god that nobody knows. And he's not going to regard the one born of women or the desire of women. Who's the desire of women? What was almost every Jewish girl thinking? You know, my baby could be the Messiah. The desire of women. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. So he shall neither regard the God of his fathers, nor the desire of women, nor regard any God. For he ex shall exalt himself above them all. Doesn't that sound like uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2? Where he sits in the temple of God declaring that he is God. Showing himself that he is God. Right? He shall exalt himself above them all. But in their place he shall honor a God of fortress. And a God which his fathers did not know he shall honor with gold and silver. With precious stones and pleasant things. Thus he shall act against the strongest fortresses with a foreign God. Which he shall acknowledge. I believe this is speaking of Satan himself. Because you have, in the book of Revelation, you have the unholy trinity, right? You have Satan, you have the beast, the Antichrist, and then you have another beast, the false prophet. Which we'll look at in a moment here. And then verse 39. Thus he shall act against the strongest fortresses with the foreign god, which he shall acknowledge, and advance his glory, its glory. And he shall cause them to rule over many and divide the land for gain. And then um, chapter... 12 we see another abomination of desolation chapter 12 verse 11 and it says and from the time that the daily sacrifices is taken away going all the way back to Daniel chapter 9 verse 24 the daily sacrifice will be taken away and upon the wing of abomination shall be one who makes desolate okay so this is talking about from that time that the daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up there shall be 1290 days Blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,335 days. You have two different numbers there. Now the thought is, I, the three and a half years is actually short of that. It's 1,042 days or something like that, right? That's three and a half years. And so you have another like 75 days. And it's believed that this is the time when everything's getting ready for the king to set up his, his kingdom, which is Jesus Christ, right? And blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,335 days. That will be the day that the holy place is anointed, right? And the king takes his throne over the earth. So, just prior to Jesus' return. Now, let's go to Revelation chapter 13. This will be the last place we go, okay? So you can relax, not think that I'm going to start a new sermon. Revelation chapter 13. This is the last place where we see this abomination of desolation. It's probably the most revealing. Uh, I'm going to read the whole chapter, just so you guys get the context of it, okay? Revelation 13, verse 1. Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns. And on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name, now the beast which I saw was like a leopard, his feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, the dragon is Satan, his throne and great authority. And I saw one of his heads and if, as if it had been mortally wounded, 
and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? Okay, so this is right at the, the three and a half year point in the middle of the tribulation, okay? The beast, the Antichrist, he receives a wound that should kill him. Okay? But he doesn't die. Somehow. Some people have said he comes back to life or something like that. Now this is a false Christ, okay? Antichrist means instead of Christ or against Christ. Okay? Could take that word either way. Instead of Christ. He's a false false Christ though. And so he's going to have lying wonders. Now is this a lie or is it just something that appears to be a wound wound or something like that? I don't know. You know, we'll have to wait and see and watch it all from heaven. Okay? But everybody, the whole world follows the beast. Okay? So they worship the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worship the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? And who is able to make war with him? And he was given a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies. And he was given authority to continue for 42 months. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and overcome them. And authority was given over every tribe, tongue, and nation. And all who dwell on the earth will worship him. All who dwell on the earth will worship him. This does not fit some kind of preterist view where all this stuff has already happened, right? And the beast is Nero or something like that, like a lot of people have said. Okay, The whole world runs after him. All who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. The endurance. Okay? The hupomone. The steadfastness. The persevering of the saints. Okay? Now here's the false prophet. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. And he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon and he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed okay he causes them to worship him he performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on earth in the sight of men and he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. And he was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as who would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of man. His number is 666. So this false prophet is able to give breath to the image. And it looks like it's alive somehow. Maybe it is alive. I have no clue. Maybe it's a robot. And it just sits there and talks. You know, and there's a man behind the back, in the back. I don't think so, because it says, it gives him breath. How did God bring life to Adam and Eve? With the breath of God, right? They're imitating God. And to show that you have worshipped him, you take a mark. The mark of the beast. Which means you bow your allegiance to him. You know, we have all these things going on today and people say, you know, there's these tattoos that you get and you can run your phone over it and it'll play a song and there's all these things. And maybe it'll use that kind of technology, but you're not going to be duped into taking the mark of the beast. You will know that you have taken the mark of the beast because you have bent down and worshipped the beast and said, you're my God. 
Okay, so you guys don't have to worry about taking it until that day comes if you're still here. I hope you're not still here. Okay, don't still be here. All right, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, right? And, and, and we're going to talk, we haven't talked about the rapture yet, but we are going to. I'm, I'm kind of building that one up. This is going to be a couple of weeks at least, you know? Because I really want to have, like I said at the first, I don't want to come to this as an expert. I want to come to it as one who investigates to find out if these things are true. Okay? So I want to I want to have understanding of when the time of the rapture is, when it's going to be. We know there's going to be one, you know? Post-millennials believe that Jesus comes down and brings them up and then drops them back down again, kind of the yo-yo version. Um, you know, and there's, there's pre-wrath and, you know, just before the three and a half year end of the tribulation. There's those who believe that it will come then. I want to come to this and really investigate it. And I've been investigating. I'm very excited about what I found. So um, don't miss those, those. Because if you go through all of this and then miss the rapture, you're going to be depressed. Okay, you're going to be like, we, we might be going through the tribulation. That's what you're going to be thinking. You know? So I want you guys to be excited. I want you guys to be encouraged. All right. I want you to be eager for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, not the coming of the Antichrist or of all these terrible things that are going to happen. But I do want you to be warned about them, that these things are going to happen. There's going to be a day when God stands up and says, enough, enough. I'm going to begin pouring out my wrath on the earth. Do not be here for that. Do not come here almost every Sunday. And then when we get to heaven and we're at the judgment seat, I find you on the wrong side of Jesus Christ. Okay? Kids, I'm talking to you too. Don't let me find you on the wrong side of Jesus Christ on that day. It will break my heart. Give your life to him. Trust him. Entrust your life to him. Submit to his gospel. Submit to his love. You will find nothing else in this world as great or as beautiful as Jesus Christ. Everything else here passes away. You know, we, we talk about building up memories when we're young and we want to have all these memories. Why? So you can get Alzheimer's and lose them all? You know, seriously. Everything that we have here will be lost if it's, if it's not grounded in the person and work of Jesus Christ. I will still have my memories in heaven. They will last for all eternity. Except for the ones that I really regret. Jesus is going to wipe every tear from my eye. You know, I'm not going to have to think about those things anymore. It's going to be glorious. We're going to see the purpose and the reasons that he's done everything. All the pain that we've gone through. The pain that we, we've seen other people go through. And we're going to see the glory in it. Even the most horrendous things. Which we cannot comprehend right now. I believe will make sense then and we will see the wisdom and the love of God even in the worst things. Think of the worst thing you could think of that's happening in this earth right now. Even that will be made clear. And we will see the beauty of the Lord. Amen.